This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WTDR. I'm Tony Epstein. It's the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. Lying on your back in the grass, you can't see a thing except for the clear blue sky, a few cotton wool clouds, higher and higher in the great dome of the sky, filling it with song. They sound quite mad, don't they? Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Okay, 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 okay. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Okay, okay, We're taking our microphone to different locations, to different places. Your job is to close your eyes, listen, and decide where we are and what is happening. Okay? This time, I'm going to ask you to do something besides just listening. I would like for you and your friends to pretend you're actually in the places you hear. Make believe. And while you're pretending and having fun, please ask yourself this question. And what will become of me? And what will become of me? Please ask yourself this question. What will become of me? And what will become of me? There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind in living color on WTDR. Wow. It's happening. I can feel it. How would you explain it? It's beautiful. God, it's God. I say God. How do you like that? Why, it's preposterous. Thank you very much. Information in the form of energy streams in, streams in. simultaneously through all of our sensory systems in the form of energy.
Good morning, Tomas. Good morning, Tonya. It's great to have you back again. It's great to be back again. I'm getting to be a regular. You are. It's a rhythm. It yeah. don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. I love that song. It's a great yeah. motto. In fact, I, I kind of want to start dancing and singing. Uh, but anyway, we won't go there. Oh, uh, we might. Because <laughs> my brain is a little foggy in that oh, direction, good, too. the two of us, then. Yes. All right. A foggy day in London town <laughs> Had me low and it had me down I viewed the morning with alarm The British Museum had lost its charm How long, I wondered, could this thing last? But the age of miracles hadn't passed For suddenly I saw you there And through foggy London town the sun was shining everywhere. <laughs> A song for every occasion, Tonya. Thank you. You're very welcome. Mm. There's more where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just sang a song. There was no instrumental accompaniment. That's there was true. no electronics involved. Right. It was just a human being with the ordinary, unaided human voice. Mm -hmm. And that's what I miss a lot. I've got ah. this theory now that just ordinary singing, the way we used to in Mexico, you'd sit around and sing and hold a party, is an endangered species. Now people think that to sing means to hold the mic right up close to your tonsils and have electronic engineers making tracks and putting in tracks and stuff. And the idea that somebody can just sort of sing, like, you know, like a, I used to sing my, my sons when they were like one year old. I used to sing them to sleep. I'd sing them lullabies, you know. And uh, that's very intimate. Or you sing a love song to somebody whom you actually love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you think that's actually going away? I can't see it around much. It's like... But uh, parents must... I mean, you you don't have kids that you're singing to bed anymore, but parents are still doing oh, that, aren't lullabies, they? Oh, lullabies, I hope so, yes. Yes. And I think lovers must be singing to each other Oh, I'm glad point. to hear it. I'm so glad I mean, to I don't know for certain, because I'm a bit out of that loop. <laughs> oh, this is like when we were talking about Go, and neither of us have actually played Go. <laughs> well, <that's> <laughs> <laughs> I've heard about it. Reminds me of something I heard about Grandma Moses, the painter. Uh -huh. She was looking at a newborn baby, and she says, well, if my memory doesn't fail me, it's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I'll tell you an anecdote to uh, amplify what I was just saying about my feelings about singing being an endangered species, right? It's this Mexican side of me and this side of living in the United States. When, when I'm in Mexico, when I meet a, another Mexican, even in the United States, I can start singing a whole repertoire of songs that if I sing... The new person I've just met, or an old friend, will sing along with me in perfect harmony, which is in Mexico, always a third above the melody, with all the lyrics, and we just gaze into each other's eyes and we sing this song, and then you know you've got a friend. And there was this family that I've been connected with, my other family really, in, in Catemaco, this little town, and this was before there was TV. In the evenings, we just used to sit around and sing. And that's what I think people don't do. They certainly don't in Mexico anymore, and I don't think around here. But I know that it used to be very common around here. There's this clip I like to put on Facebook every year or so of Cary Grant or some famous 40s black-and-white movie, and they're on a bus, and they start singing on the bus. 
He flies through the air with the greatest of... And everyone on the bus is singing along. Imagine you're on a plane going somewhere and everybody on the plane is singing the same song. Well, until a few years ago, here in, in northern Vermont, I started to become aware that there were all these Mexicans milking the cows in the farms around here. And I started visiting them just with my guitar and my accordion. I made, made a lot of friends, about 80 of them from one town in Chiapas, all the way out to Franklin County. I used to go out to Franklin County. Wow, from Chiapas to Franklin really, County? Really, from the southernmost part of Mexico. And I, I used to say Franklin County was the last uncontaminated county in the country. I'd be very interested to see a map with how many counties there are in the United States that don't have a single, quote, illegal alien in them. I think that we are everywhere now. <laughs> That's what I used to say to them. Ya no tengo que ir a México, ya estamos, ya llegaron ustedes hasta acá. I don't have to go back to Mexico. Mexico's made it all the way up to Franklin County. Well, I was connected with a group of people, and there's quite a, a nice bunch of activists, I guess one would, they'd call themselves, who wanted to do something about, you know, this situation with the illegal aliens, which I'm not allowed to use the word, I have to say, undocumented work, which to me is more syllables and still stresses the negative. They're documented, it's just the government doesn't recognize their documents. But back to what my anecdote, right? So there was a party, and there was about half a dozen locals, as I say, very decent people, and half a dozen Mexicans. And the folks who were organizing the party said, you know, why don't you guys sing something? So we sang something. But it was a performance. We were performing. Look, the foreigners are singing this song. The darkies are strumming the banjos under the moonlight. We're happy. <laughs> it was entertainment. We were entertaining them, it seemed to me. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but there was a touch of that feeling because they, weren't, they were just sitting listening. So then I said, in English, well, why don't you guys sing a song for these guys? So then they can hear that Mexicans are not the only people who sing, that there are, you know, that Anglos... And not just people who... Well, Anglos are human beings, they sing. You know, not just people who own cows and who might turn you in. They're fellow human beings. They'll sing with you. You know, you see where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. And I said, why don't you guys sing a song, an American song? But it felt to me, as always happens in these situations, that it'd be nice to be reciprocal about this. Mm -hmm. But the story has to do with... You take a bunch of Americans, English-speaking Americans, Anglos, as we say, in a room, and they try to find a song that they can all sing... And, you know, there's only one or two songs that they, that ever come up. Do you want to guess which one is the most common one that comes up in situations like that? No, I don't no, want it's to a good, It's a good question, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing Grace. Yeah. Everybody can sing Amazing Grace. But this group of people came up with a different one. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. Oh, it transformed the party. It just, it just transformed the party. Because everybody was singing along. Oh, yeah, lefties have, do have a repertoire of songs. Oh, we so do, yeah. <laughs> and it's not just the most famous one. Oh, you wake up in the morning, hear the ding-dong ring, you go marching to the table, it's the same damn thing. You know, oh, the, the midnight special, shine a light on me. But that shows, talking about old lefties. Not yeah. old lefties, but old new lefties. <laughs> There's old, old lefties. They're very old now. And old new lefties. Anyway, my story has to do with two different relationships to sitting around and singing, just for the fun of it. I just see, and this is where my attitude, my, my concern about, you know, this endangered species, 
And it's true that my only connection to popular culture is not TV. It's, it's, it's all Facebook, I have to confess. If it doesn't come across Facebook, it doesn't exist for me. But I have a pretty interesting Facebook page. I mean, I get a bunch of different things there. And what often comes across to me is some kid in a third world country singing and dancing and so on. But dancing is great to see six-year-old kid dancing flamenco or something like that, you know? That, makes, that gives me hope. But I see that, you know, even in darkest Africa, as I used to say when I was a kid, even in the middle of the third world, as we used to call it, you'll see a kid holding a fake microphone to their mouth <laughs> while they sing some African song, you know? Anyway, I think I've said enough on that subject for now, for me. Okay, well, since becoming your friend... Officially on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed. <laughs> In the last week, you've, you've uh, made, I think, three or four posts that oh, I've, gosh. you know, I get these notices that Tomas Kalmar has posted something to Facebook. So I, I check it out. Most people I get notifications from, I just delete because I just, I don't really... You don't need to explain I, why. Well, I check everybody out. You know, I get a sense of what people are into posting before I start deleting them. But after a while, you see patterns and, and the yes, ones yes. that don't interest me that yes, yes. I just delete because yes, I don't exactly. really have that time no, nobody to does. be distracted. Nobody does. That's the way it's meant to be. That's like if you're at a party and people are talking about something you're not interested in, you're moseying on to the other table. Right, right. But yours, I was interested in. The first one, <laughs> the first one... I mean, sometimes you're you're being provocative, and sometimes you're you're just asking a question. You're putting out an inquiry, like yesterday you put out an inquiry. But uh, the first one that I got was about being asked for your license to read or oh, la yes. a, la a, a license yes. to use language. That's right. Now, for some reason, I always get these notifications hours later, sometimes half a day or a, a full day later than anybody else, because I noticed that everybody's responded like anywhere from four to 12 hours before I even got the notice. But it stimulated me to, to thinking about it, you know. And I read everybody's responses. <laughs> and I was just, and your responses to people. And I was, I was just really curious about that. And I was thinking, well, yeah, license. A license to use language. And, and looking at other people's responses. Because everyone responds differently. Everyone has their own reaction to it to the notion of being required to have a license or I mean you you were putting out a kind of fictional dystopian little mini tale of of being stopped by the police and asked you know for your license and you said why well, I, I have seven licenses <laughs> well I want your real license what do you mean you mean my English language license what other ones do you have well I just want your real license. And I was thinking, well, license for language. Language is an interesting thing. And and you got some interesting responses from people. And I thought, oh, language, yes, language. I'm thinking, why would you need a license for language? And then I thought, well, the word, you know, words, the word is like the original gateway drug. The ultimate gateway drug. Gateway drug? Yes. That's a good one. Do you know, do you have a sense of what I'm, what I'm meaning? Uh, it might be nice if you say a bit more then. Well. A gateway drug? Once you Are start. Are you speaking ironically, I imagine? Not just Metaphorically. Ironic. Metaphorically. Maybe yeah. not. Go on. Metaphorically, but also literally. Okay, go for it. Um, 
Well, once you start using words as language, you know, as symbols, substitutes for the real thing, it's a long, long, slippery slope that we're still sliding down. (laughs) It's a slope to community and singing together and it's all that making too. love yes. and having babies and singing to them and relating to and each living other. it's yes. a great great place to be it's it a gateway is. drug it's to a, happiness it's, if where you're going is a happy place exactly but it's also a gateway drug to everything else well, what if you didn't it what if you including what if, what including if you, becoming separated from the direct reality of the things that you're using the words pa- pardon, for pardon my ignorance and but, that's where I, I came up with the notion of, well, yeah, when you, when you learn a language, when you learn to use language, maybe we should also be educating people to understand the nature of what language really is <laughs> and the traps that you can get caught in. It was just a, a response stimulated by your presenting oh, that, gosh, that, yeah. that little fictional yeah. thing. Well, I really enjoyed hearing all of that and have, of course, a nice riff to offer in response. And uh, even though we're not ostensibly singing, we've got a musical thing we do here. One of us puts in a bit of... that, And the other one takes out the trumpet and goes... It's very much like Indian music where there's this call and response on different instruments and yet they're... Right. But but they tend to repeat each other rather than just having a conversation. We could do that too if we, we want. <laughs> With words, it would be it, would, right. it might get a little. But we establish we get a rhythm going. We're jamming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, content. First, I have to clarify something. Gateway drug. Now, I was going to say, pardon my ignorance. I thought people say such and such is a gateway drug, when what they mean is if you fall off the wagon and indulge in this seemingly innocuous thing, you're in danger of slipping into more and more vicious addictions, and therefore it would be prudent not to take that gateway drug. Have I understood the term? N- not quite. Okay. I mean, you somewhat, somewhat, <laughs> for me, I wasn't even thinking about falling off the wagon, because this applies to people who, who were never on the wagon to begin with. Well, I was going to ask, how can you refrain from speaking? How can I refrain from taking this gateway drug that you've just nowadays? It's very difficult, but I'm I'm sort of you know I'm I'm free floating in time to <laughs> yes, before but, the beginning. But don't you think there were human beings? As soon as there were human beings, they were taking this drug and talking to one another. Well, I mean, well, I've seen apes do that. <laughs> yes, but there must have been a time at some point where people first discovered <laughs> mouth noises and the ability to, okay. make, to, to make meaning out okay, of sound. I can't, I can't squeeze much more juice out of that lemon. I want to go back to uh, <laughs> I want to go back to the main thing that you were saying, you know? Okay. And it is very uh, entertaining and kind of thrilling to have a friend here on the air who has read my recent Facebook posts and he's starting to chat to me about what I actually posted on Facebook. Talk about crossing a border. This never happened to me before, that something I posted on Facebook turns into a conversation viva voce, like, you know, in the human voice. Well, I do have a lot of fun on Facebook. I'm there every day, and I use it for my... It helps me. I, it, it, uh, it was very important when I was living in the middle of nowhere in Arizona, in the desert in Arizona, and I'd be on communicating with... Somebody I went to school with in Australia, somebody who I taught in Newton High in Boston, 
not only fellow students, so former students, but all sorts of people. So I have an interesting, diverse group of Facebook friends, of which you are now one, right? And I told a friend of mine in um, Hardwick at the co-op, she said, well, I, I don't do Facebook. I really should learn how to use Facebook. And I said, really, there's no should about it. I do it because it's the only computer game I know how to play. And they keep changing the rules, which makes it more interesting. Really? I said, if you enjoy... Yeah. Uh, want me to say more about that in a moment? Yeah, it, later. Uh, and I say that if, if I... Uh, if I like playing ping pong, then I'll play ping pong. But if I don't like playing ping pong and someone says you should play ping pong, I'd say, you know, like, give me a break. Why should I? And then I told you, you don't need it. You know, a lot of people don't need Facebook. They've got lives to lead. And uh, <laughs> now for me, though, I play with it. There are things I do like and don't like. Some of my posts are about spoofs of cliches and memes. Some of them are personal. A lot of, lot of stuff are about animals who are nice to one another. And I, some people, you know, don't go for that. Some love it. Lots about kids, as I said, dancing flamenco when they're three years old or whatever it is. But you're picking up on one that I posted recently, which I actually had forgotten about. And it's always fun for me to see the dynamics. of. It's like, you know, sitting here and listening to us. It, to me, it's like when there's a very still pond, and I've been sometimes a very still pond, and I throw a, a, a stone in, you can watch the ripples go out. And sometimes there's two or three ripples going at the same time. I used to. I went through a period where I was careful only to post one or two things because if you only post one or two things, you get more hits. But then I grew up a bit. What the hell does it matter how many hits you get? It is nice if something you know gets eighty hits. Well, that's usually because you know there's something very human about what you post. Like I had a birthday, or you know, I mean, my jokes sometimes you know then they get shared. But to me, it's folklore. To me, what appears on Facebook is folklore. It's like when I was a kid, my dad would come home from work and tell us of the jokes he heard during the day. I thought all families did that. No, it turned out no, many families don't do that. And we, we, we learned to tell jokes. I told a joke. I was about eight years old, and everyone was really down on me and my family. They all told me I didn't know how to tell a joke, and they coached me on how to tell a joke. <laughs> you had to tell it well. <laughs> but the whole point for me is this. If you hear a joke in those days... And you laugh, then you pass it on. You tell it to the next person you hear. Mm -hmm. And if the joke passes from mouth to mouth, then it's because it, it's something in that community that enjoys hearing that joke. Nowadays, you tell a joke on Facebook, and somebody tells, looks up Snopes and says, that isn't true. <laughs> uh, the, way I'm, the way I'm spoofing it is I say, you, you say, this guy walks into a bar, and somebody says, I don't believe you, prove it. <laughs> now, people don't like me being rude about Snopes because a good deal of my friends on Facebook are the kind of people who think you shouldn't tell untrue things on Facebook. To me, that's absurd. <laughs> it's, I, don't, I can't see it that way. And so I post a photo that I thought was pretty interesting of these enormous skulls, three times the size of a human being, that were dug up in a town in Mexico. And there's people next to the skull, and you know they hardly reach up to the eye socket. Immediately, someone gets on Snopes and says, this is not true. I said, no, it was a joke. <laughs> I was glad to see. I was glad to see. I mean, anyone who thinks it's true, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, I, I, I don't know if, if you can see where I'm going with this, but I'm getting something off my chest because here you are, you saw something on Facebook that was meant to make people chuckle, but it had an irony. Mm-hmm. And it had a response, and you were interested, and you had a response. And, of course, that's nice when, when, when you put something on Facebook, and it has a bit of a response. Mm -hmm. Now, 
sometimes it's just one or two. Lately, I've been realizing if I put on something and three or four people whom I know chat about it for a second or two, that's nice. It's, you know, I, I, I'm going to have a, a digression here uh, with my beloved wife Bridget and me. I, I call this the Catemaco pace. Catemaco is this town that I love in, in Veracruz. When I was in Catemaco, when I'm in Catemaco, I stroll around and you greet people, little greetings. Eric Byrne called it exchanging strokes. You say howdy, but a little bit more than howdy. And sometimes it's a little bit of a conversation. You don't have long, deep, heart-to-heart conversations with any of them, but after you've been about 20 of those and walked around the town, you feel pretty good and you have a good day. So that's what Facebook does for me. You know, I get a few interactions. And, of course, I, I do it. If I see something that somebody posts, I comment, and, uh, and, and, but I have six or six, seven, six conversations going at the same time because some of the folks are academics who are specialists in early medieval Ireland and stuff like that. And they have a way of joking, which I like, because they're Brits. It's very, very nice. Some people are in Australia. And, that's, and then there's other kinds of folks I have on there. So what I posted, the one that you're quoting, I came across in a journal of mine, and it, I have journals where I've got all sorts of stuff from the days when the main thing I was doing was called adult literacy. I called it adult biliteracy, and there was a time if you Googled adult biliteracy, the first hundred things you saw were my article on it. It was a term that biliteracy was coined. We can have a session one day on biliteracy. So what I posted there was something that I'd written sometime in my journal. I see that you're uh, reading without a license. Now, what you got out of it did not have any need for focusing on the idea that this was about reading, reading without a license. Oh, I did get that. I know, but... It's just that later on I I thought of something else. Right, exactly. It led to other thoughts. Exactly. Which is very helpful for me to hear. Playful thoughts. Yes, it was very helpful for me to hear. Even though it might sound serious to some people, it was just a playful response. Yes, yes. But I didn't actually post it. No, you didn't need to. Why should you? Do you sometimes post things? Sometimes, but oddly enough, some... Sometimes I find that some of my posts are like showstoppers. You know what I mean? Where people's responses, they don't know what to make of it, and so they don't respond at all. They just stop responding to the whole thing. It kind of kills the conversation. So I generally refrain from responding to Facebook posts Um, for that reason. You know, I think anyone who spends time on Facebook has had that uh, happen to them. But I think you have to bear in mind... One has no idea the real reason why a thread runs out. It's oh, just yeah. time went on, you know? Yeah. And you have to bear in mind when I say they keep changing the rules. Ah. It may not be that the people who post it on there get to see your response. Ah, yes. This, and I've so, always been mystified by, yes, and by, this the, is why by the inner workings of... Those of us who are FBologists, <laughs> Facebookologists... <laughs> those of us who are Facebookologists are the kinds of people who enjoy thinking about the group dynamics of whatever interaction they're in. And so if you're the kind of person who at a committee meeting notes who interrupts who and who doesn't interrupt who and who hasn't opened their mouth and so on and who speaks too often and who talks just because they like the sound of their own voice, por ejemplo, yo, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if you're that kind of person, then you can have fun on Facebook trying to figure out what the hell is going on, which is why did this conversation take this turn? Well, 
often you can't, you can't figure it out. But sometimes there's a little rhythm that can go on if you play the game. And so there's little sub-games that go on, these sub-threads. But I think the much more relevant fact is you don't need to comment on Facebook. You have this show. You have your own way mm-hmm. of uh, interacting with... You don't need this. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there isolated, uh, hungry for intellectual stimulation. Maybe uh, if I come on more of your shows, I'll get off Facebook. <laughs> 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 but... Well, crossing borders was 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 a wonderful thing that you said earlier, and and I I certainly recognize that, and and I did it deliberately. Yeah. So, but I think the the main heart of the matter for me is this: you saw that what I posted was a little sketch, a vignette of what somebody could turn into a a chapter or something, or just a or even, a short story, or even. a joke. You know, it's a, a joke. dystopian it's science a, it's, fiction it's a joke. novel. Yeah, yeah. Right. The thing that made me smile was dystopian. What is dystopia for one person is reality for somebody else. Uh, yeah. And so a joke for one person is more like a tragic horror for the person who's actually living through it. Well, what happens to people who are literate in more than one language in this country has its funny side, but there is no doubt that people who are literate in only one language continually try to tell people who are literate in more than one language that they're stupid. And you'll see it over and over again. To be biliterate, to be literate in two languages, I mean, you don't know English properly. Really? Well, I should come back it up with examples, but that's a pretty extreme way of putting it. It is. Anyway. That's the first time I've ever heard any, any notion of that. Because my, my sense is the exact opposite of that. Say more. When I encounter people who are biliterate or triliterate or beyond, I assume greater intelligence and greater worldliness. Yes. And so do I, I have respect for that. So do I. So you could not identify in the joke I told you with the policeman who says, I see you are reading, you know, in a reading zone. May I see your license? And then the person pulls out a license, and it's a license to read in Spanish. And the cop says... I'm sorry, you know, this is, this is in Spanish. Now, right there, the cop thinks that if somebody can read in Spanish, they're not literate. So you will see statistics in the United States for how many people are literate. It used to be a big thing in the 70s and 80s and 90s, but it's still around. And if it turns out that a person is only literate in their native language, that's in academic circles, in educationese, that's called native language literacy. Now, if a person only has one language, namely English, nobody ever calls it native language literacy when they're learning to read. Because Although they could. From but the they never do. But from the academic <coughs> standpoint, there is a strong prejudice against the common, unwashed, even English speaking. Let's distinguish between a pure and philosophical and theoretical angle of vision and a funky, practical question. You're a teacher in the classroom. What do you do with these kids who don't speak English properly? Uh-huh. Right? And your school has all sorts of things going on to help those kids speak English. Mm -hmm. But it's not enough if they speak English. Some of them do speak English. They have to be able to read and write it. Okay, so they start reading and writing. Let's assume that they already can read and write in some other language. Mm -hmm. They enter into this, these kids, we're talking with someone who's five, six, seven years old, or who's just arrived recently and is 14 or whatever, you know. So in many of these cases, these kids assume that there's a one-to-one correspondence between a letter and a sound. What could be more obvious? If you're learning to read in Spanish, you only need one year of schooling. I've met 
more than one, quite a few people who only had one year of schooling in Mexico, but they can read and write. Because after all, you only need to learn the you know, 25 letters and their sounds. And then anything that you hear, you can write down. Anything that you read, you can say. No, in English, it turns out that's actually, you know, you're not writing English properly if you do it that way. So they might know English, they're writing it down, but the teacher can't understand what they've written because they've written it down, you know, phonetically. Mm. So they are told they're, only, they're not progressing very well and the scores go down. They have to learn to spell correctly. They have to play the game by the by the rules, by the proper rules. Yeah, try to figure out the rules. So I'm trying to show an example of a situation in which reading in the wrong language is not rewarded, but in fact be put in a special place called special education or some special group, and you are in a not in mainstream because you can read in this other language. And if you allow that knowledge to enter into your reading and writing of English, that's called interference. Your native language is interfering with your English language. The term actually comes from engineering originally and is a neutral term. It just means where patents from here are overlapping with patents from there. But most of most teachers nowadays, I think, think of it as interference where, you know, these these foreign sounds are interfering and these foreign patterns of this foreign kind of literacy is interfering with English literacy. And we have to eradicate it. Or foreign words? Invading the English language? I'm not talking about foreign words invading the English language. I'm talking about the fact that you speak with an accent or, ah. that you're, or that your spelling has some spelling errors which are spelling errors to the teacher. Mm. But when you look at it, the student, you can say the word and you know what it says. And, it's, you mm. know, and you're told, no, that's wrong. And so it's kind of you know, tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, have I gone on too long on this subject? Tony? No. You guide me. No, no, no. So back to my joke on Facebook. Mm-hmm. The reaction, the policeman is the policeman whom you see all over the place. Let's call them the language police. And they can be very decent, well-meaning people. Teachers are, you know, hard-working. They suffer a lot. But still, they might have a you know, feeling that there's something wrong with reading and writing in a different language. And that's what I was getting at in that thing. So then the, the joke continues where the person says, Oh, sorry, I, I get my licenses mixed up. And that's where the policeman says, What, you have more than one license? I don't know about that. And, and the person says, Oh, I got six of them. You know that this is a very literate person, right? <laughs> six. <laughs> just, just show me your. Uh, oh, you know. but he said there must be something wrong with that. I, I don't know about. I, I, we have to look into this. Young right? have to look right. Yeah, right. Never heard of this. You sound right. You might and, be a uh, communist or something. Sounds exactly. And then, and then it says, uh, then it goes because um, there was a good punchline. Don't get smart with me. Just give me your license, right? right give me your real license. The real one, right, yes. The real license. That, 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 that dates back to long ago when I was um, in Mexico and there was a, an American tourist of the kind we poke fun at in the marketplace and he was buying this enormous hat and it was uh, negotiating for the price and I heard him say in English, yeah, but how much is that in real money? <laughs> <laughs> it's very natural. Now that I'm older, I can see why he said that, you know, but, oh, to me, that, that, that sums up so much, not only about Americans and other cultures, but cross-cultural anything, cross-cultural anything. It isn't real if it's not in your own culture, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that post, I have to see who commented on it. I don't know if anyone did much. Sometimes I used to put, when I first got started on Facebook, I thought the point was to post something that led to a long, long thread, mm-hmm. because that means that you've started a nice conversation. I don't see it that way anymore. Eventually, that's not how it works. Uh, short conversations, sometimes they're a long conversation, and some friends I have are very good at, you know, sustaining long conversations, but it's not, it's not a requisite. If you 
post something and some people laugh and they pass it on. That's also worthwhile. Yeah, right. So I then was in Tucson and started drinking margaritas. 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 Margarita? Margarita? I don't think it's a drink in Mexico, margarita. I've never been in a bar in Mexico where someone says, I want a margarita. It's kind of a Tex-Mex thing, but of course it's all over the United States and probably all over the world. Anyway, I never much liked them. I like tequila, rot-cut tequila. I don't even like tequila. I like tequila when I'm in a cantina and then I have a shot of really rot-cut tequila. Nowadays, tequila, you have to say what kind of tequila you want and it all smells like aftershave lotion. It's really elegant stuff. <laughs> so, I was in this really nice, uh, they have great places in Tucson to drink. I mean, great eat, great restaurants and so on. And so I posted on Facebook, yesterday I had a pineapple ginger margarita, margarita, a pineapple ginger margarita. Oh, I got like a thread that went, I got 80 hits and went on and on and on. This thread went on and on and on and on. That gave me a lot of food for thought <laughs> back then. <laughs> because meanwhile, I was posting deep philosophical questions that were getting no response. That was kind of my experience that when I make a response, because I'm, I think about things, and then I make a response, and and it kind of stops. And then it kind of makes me feel like this isn't the right place for me, that I, should, I shouldn't say anything on Facebook, that what people want is, is to, to, to feel safe in continuing their, their own personal, perhaps superficial level of conversation. Because that's what I generally see on Facebook, and and I usually don't find that interesting. Or people are indulging in their political biases very interesting, heavily. Interesting, which I also find a bit redundant because we're all we all know how we feel about these things, and to be adding nauseum to the, <laughs> to the to the vomitorium is seems it just seems. Redundant. This is, an, as always, an enjoyable conversation because we've got so much we shared. We can trust that there's a lot we share, but there's these things emerge where we have somewhat different positions in the world, and so there's a little bit of a conversation. Could hardly call it conflict, but it starts to be a little bit of electricity in the air, and that's very nice. So you got me thinking about you know Facebook, which I like to do from time to time. But we're talking, I'm talking about it with you, and seeing it in a very refreshing point of view. But I must say. I have this feeling that you and me are friends now, and yet I've seen you in this room, and we've had brunches together. I have never seen you at a social gathering. So the reason I mention that is the following. You strike me as someone who hears a buzz coming from a room where there's a lot of people. You put your head in the door, and you see they're all just, you know, chatting away. And quite naturally, you say, well, I don't need this. Well, it now, depends on what they're chatting about. Yes, yes, but you listen to a few conversations, and oh, it yeah. sounds rather, you know, well, like the description you gave is pretty accurate. On the other hand, there's really almost no generalization you can say as to why people use Facebook. All sorts of things go on on Facebook, all mm -hmm. sorts of things. And so, eventually, or inevitably, if you start off with a niche which is given to you by the algorithm, Facebook algorithm, the computers there, put you in a niche as really? soon as you start. Well, yes. Who gets to see your, who gets to see your posts? Ah. And you're, I'm, you're, you're revealing some of the secrets yeah, that, well, I, that I right. have never understood. And so, and so, shall I go on in this thing? Absolutely. So, because this is something we both are interested in, and I'll just file it under the rubric group dynamics and so on. So, you find that, you know, some of your friends, they only post stuff for five or six of their friends and family. I have cousins. 
whom I love but haven't seen for ages and ages, and they've got children now, grandchildren, and they only post for one another. That's really all I can tell, as far as I can tell. They're just chatting with one another. Well, I want to distinguish between three or four things that happen once you actually join a party, a cocktail party. You will find that some people are just engaging in chit-chat. Let's call it small talk. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen you engage in it. I'm sure you can when it's necessary. But perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps as soon as small talk gets interesting, you raise it to another level. Small talk stays small talk. It's just small talk. And some people can't be bothered with it. Why should they? It's just, you know, oh, nice day today. Yeah, how's the wife? Yeah, same old, same old. Just, are you there? Yes, I'm here. That's all it is. <laughs> Some people are pontificating. They're saying, what is the case? And if people don't agree with them, they try to set them straight. Well, those are pretty boring groups to join at the, for cocktail party, but sometimes it can get really interesting if the person's got something interesting to say. So there's many kinds of conversation. I'm going to say... There's some, time, some of it is small talk, chit-chat. Some of it is just getting people to laugh at the same thing. And so three or four people sitting together, they all start laughing. It's not necessarily that someone told a joke. It just could be something funny that somebody said. Well, you can't get into that unless you join in for a while. I mean, there's no way you're going to, you know, pop your head in the door and hear three seconds of it and know that it's time to laugh. You have to be part of the... Of you have the, to put in your time. Well, you can put it that way. I was going to say, you have to join in in the rhythm, you know. That's what I mean. Yeah. Putting your time to me sounds more like you have to stay in jail for seven days. <laughs> sometimes sometimes <laughs> or, it ends or up... Or sit at your desk in an office for seven hours. Well, I, I said that because sometimes when you do that, you find that that's all it ended up being. <laughs> oh, well, then you shouldn't have joined in the first place. Right, right. But how right. can you know? Oh, your nose will tell you. you can yeah, tell once us. you're there. Well, oh, right. I yeah, see no, what you're saying, but yeah. The, from the rhythm. Yes. From the rhythm. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm just making this up as I go, as we do in here. But you're helping me see something. If it's real human beings, this is connecting what I was saying earlier about, you know, if it's real human beings at a party, body language does, does most of the work. You can see, without consciously thinking about it, whether this is the body or the rhythms of the... When they're just... The distance that they are from one another. They say, you know, Arabs get really close face-to-face and Anglos keep a certain distance. Whether they move around, whether they're waving their arms around, whether this is your kind of dance, and if it is, you join in without any problem. If you're an outsider, then you have to learn how to move that way. And people like me have had to learn to do that in three or four different places. But on Facebook... It's pretty challenging to find that rhythm. Now, I'm going to add a second kind of thing. Shop talk. What I have found wonderful about Facebook in the last six months is that there are groups I can do a little bit of shop talk on. I had to make a decision when I submitted my proposal this week. I finally submitted the proposal, the formal submission of my proposal for my brilliant magnum opus, my book on Alfred. And I see that you have to get copyright permission if you use more than 400 words of somebody's book, you know, and I've undertaken to do that, but I never paid much attention to that in the past, and I realized oh, there's a 400-word thing I'm quoting in Old English that I would have thought nobody has the copyright for, but in the past I would have Googled and schmoogled and done this. I wouldn't have known what to do about it. But I got into this group of people who are Anglo-Saxon scholars, and I said, hive mind, that is the cue. Hive mind means basically I'm really ignorant, and please, you know, help me cover my ass here. What, what do I do in this situation? Or I can't find, you know, the answer to this question. You can't overdo this, of course, but, you know, people are very helpful to one another. This is shop talk. This is collegial shop talk, but it's a group. It's had its problems, like many groups in, in this world do. There have been disagreements within the group, and they had to get different administrators. But I put on there, 
you know, this thing is more than 400 words. It's in old English. Does anyone have the copyright? Do I have to get the copyright for this? And two brilliant scholars whom I really esteem and uh, respect their work and their intellectual labour and their integrity and their, their really great, great Anglo-Saxon scholars, Patrick Connor and Peter Baker. First Patrick Connor. We, we're good... We're good Facebook friends. I think we must have met face-to-face once in a while, but we're basically really good Facebook friends. He, go, he gave me great advice, exactly what to do. And then Peter Baker got on and said, well, you know, he's from, he's from England. Basically said, this has been in the public domain for 1,100 years. You don't need permission. Just go ahead and use it. <laughs> basically, I, I got just the strokes I needed to how worried should I be about this. Talking to you about it in this way helps me wrap that up, get closure on why I did that. Now, that is not really... I don't know if you saw that one. No. Oh, because that was just on the group, yeah. Oh, that's right. an inside group. Oh, uh, yes, the group f- which devotes itself to these kinds of things, mm-hmm. yes. And there are many, many such groups. So a lot of... I mean, I, I, be, I belong to that group. I'm also in a group <laughs> where they post old photo, photos of old Sydney. Photos of Sydney. Oh, a reminisce about Sydney. In the 50s, I hated life in Sydney in Australia in the 50s. It was a miserable experience. My brother and me both were adolescents there. But it's a hoot to see these old trams and things that one used to eat and, you know, <laughs> memorabilia from the past. Okay, so what, so there's many, many reasons to spend time on Facebook. Most of them are probably no good and I shouldn't do it. <laughs> probably, you know, really does things to your mind. Maybe if I got off Facebook, I'd get... But on the other hand, I don't watch TV... It's through Facebook that I knew that, you know, what was happening on in the elections and so on when there's an election. And about the politics, it really is absurd the amount of time people spend being outraged on Facebook. And I've OD'd on that. I mean, what use is the moral outrage going to be, you know? And particularly one of the things I posted yesterday or the day before was cliches I can do without. Every so often I get this off my chest. Am I going too long? No, oh, not okay. at all. So there's certain cliches that just keep coming up. And the latest one that really bugs me is this horrendous thing is true. Let that sink in. These are memes. They're always memes. There's a photo and some horrendous thing that if you take it seriously, you won't be able to sleep for weeks. And it's been told to you 55 times in the past already. And this idiot (laughs) passes the meme on with this punchline, let that sink in. As if, you know, as if we've been sitting around here not noticing that that, uh, Trump has done such and such or that somebody shot Another 50 people somewhere. And where am I going to let it sink in? I'm already drowning in it. (laughs) Where's the outrage? This horrible thing happened that you hadn't even paid attention to. Maybe in Yemen or in some country you haven't heard of or some country that you just haven't been thinking about lately or in the United States. Some horrible thing happened that really is upsetting. But it didn't hit the media. It wasn't covered. It didn't appear on any of the talk shows or whatever those shows, news shows. And so it appears on Facebook and says, where's the outrage? Or no one cares. And that really pisses me off because I'm, I'm being told I'm outraged about the wrong thing and I should have even more outrage. Or that I, no one cares that all these veterans are committing suicide. Of course, a lot of people care. And I find these things, apropos what you were saying about word, I'm going to say speech being a gateway drug, I find these things the one area where every one of us does have some power to control what's going on. Most of the time I'm being told I should be outraged and do something about something over which I have no power and no control whatsoever. I'm just having my powerlessness and that of everybody else rubbed in our noses. But 
control over what you say and the words you use and don't use, you do have. Antonio, I've found that it is so difficult to change verbal habits. And if you can't even change those, how can you change the oppressive structures of society? Well, then feminism and all these other kinds of movements come up. You know, you don't say this, you say that. Well, yeah, I'm not allowed to say illegal alien because no one is illegal. Well, if no one's illegal, what are we doing at this meeting here? We're here because you, these people can't show up at this meeting. We're talking about them. They're not here. Illegal aliens? No, no, you have to say undocumented work and so on. Okay, so that is one way. You're not allowed to use certain terms. You've used the wrong term, right? But that's not the hardest thing to change. The hardest thing to change is uh, these things about we, no one cares. Who, who, we, you said, how are we, we should teach, you said, we should teach people such and such. Who's this we who's going to do the teaching? You know, and in particular, the one that I find I used to comment on, but they're my friends and they don't, there's no point being rude to them. They say, we, what we Americans have done to, Lately, it hasn't been so much what we Americans have done to African Americans, but it might be what we Americans have done to Native Americans, what we Americans have done to Mexicans, but also what we have done to gay people, what we have done to trans people, what we have done to them. In other words, these folks cannot use the word we to include the people whom they are upset about having excluded. They can't say we gay folks, they can't say we illegal aliens because I'm not illegal, I'm not gay, I'm not this, I'm not, this is what I'm not. And if we could learn not to do that, if we could learn, is this making any sense at all? If we could learn to say we, including the people, but what prevents us from saying we is this notion that we are privileged. It is my privilege that prevents me (laughs) from... Being one of you. Didn't know I was going to end up there. From being part of the we. Yes, of the human we. Mm-hmm. Yes, I didn't know I was going to end up there. You are uh, a gifted uh, provocateur of rants. <laughs> <laughs> well, eventually it had to come back to me because I was such a, a provocateur and purveyor of rants myself back in the day. And, and I, can get, I can easily get caught up in them if, I, but it's also, if I'm not paying too much attention yeah. to myself. But it's also what we're talking about, jamming, because when, it's the jam, when the jam session is going really well and then people start to have solos, hmm. the, the other people there egg them on. And makes the solo all the, all the more possible. And so you can take it out to really like I was just doing there. You can riff out the way out. And then, with luck, you do come back, you know, hopefully on the beat. <laughs> <laughs> that was all about words being a gateway drug. It was about... Well, you also posted another rather interesting thing, which, which, which is actually the most interesting of them all. You, you posted something <laughs> by uh, a, a quote. I just can't believe we're sitting here talking about my Facebook post. It's wonderful. Go on. <laughs> you posted a quote from uh, part of an article, part of an interview with William S. Burroughs. Do you remember that post? Refresh my memory. Well, actually, I'm going to have to refresh my memory, too. I... I printed some of it oh, out. Oh, good for you! 
because I, I know that my memory is, is very suspect. So. Oh, no, but also I'm sure the, the, what I was saying before, the, the actual wording does matter. Oh, absolutely. Want me to read it? Um, you read it. It'll do me good to hear it in your uh, tone of voice. Okay, let's see. So he says, political conflicts are merely surface manifestations. If conflicts arise, you may be sure that certain powers intend to keep this conflict under operation since they hope to profit from the situation. To concern yourself with surface political conflicts is to make the mistake of the bull in the ring. You are charging the red cloth. That is what politics is for, to teach you to react to the red cloth just as the bullfighter teaches the bull, teaches him to follow, obey, and react to the red cloth. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. It's just wonderful. Yes. I think about those kind of things. You do. Yes, a you lot. do. Yeah. You 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 know a lot about that at many levels. Well, I don't know about what I know, but I you, think I about know about things. what you know. I've seen you in action. You know a lot about that world. That world being where there are levels of awareness and levels of making sense of things so that one can really speak of surface and depth because there is a difference. Mm -hmm. And um, that's an excellent example. And different rules apply at different levels of the game. Uh, now I'm running the danger of mixing my metaphors. Oh, no, not that. <laughs> I am notorious for mixing metaphors. You hope. Uh, <laughs> you wish, yes. You, 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 switch ho you switch horses of a different color in midstream. <laughs> now, where did that come from? Rip Keller. But somebody else was talking about that. I learned it from Rip. He used to make them up. <laughs> oh, no, I, now I'm remembering what it was. It's from a book I'm reading right now. Oh, you read books? He's talking, <laughs> he's talking about changing the color of the elephant. The elephant in the room. Oh, the pink elephant. Right, but changing the color instead oh, of oh, denying, oh, oh. instead of ignoring. Oh the yes, yes, no, absolutely, it, absolutely. You, it's like that thing I talked about. I believe I talked about when I first came in about tic tac toe, where you, you, you don't, you change the rules of tic tac toe. Instead of X's, you have to. Start, it's still the same game. You just change the name, right? Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit about the quotes, right? Okay, go ahead. Um, I don't know if we've squeezed all the juice out of this. The, what Facebook can and can't do and so on. But when I think of what I quoted, which was a little bit of that, all I'd come across, and I probably was recycling something that I quoted on that day a year ago or two years ago, because nowadays I'm lazy. I get onto Facebook and there's this thing called On This Day or Memories, and it tells me what I posted exactly a year ago, two years ago, all the way back to sometimes six, seven years ago. It's a hoot for me because I've so much has happened in my life in the last year, really, that what, it's like, oh my God, what I, OMG, did I really, SMH, did I really post that? And sometimes I want to just try again because I have a lot of new friends who haven't seen it. I'm sure some of my friends are bored to see this every year for three years, but there are others who are not. So I have a feeling I originally posted that during the elections when, when it looked like Bernie Sanders had a chance and when people were saying, oh, God, Trump, can you believe it? No, he's got, got a chance in hell to be, you know. It was around that time, I think. But it could be any time because what it's saying is, and especially on Facebook, all this hoopla about all this stuff, you know, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm right, you're wrong, all this, all this whatever the latest piece of horror is, 
let's all now talk about whether this is or isn't torture. Let's all know that was that's over. That's that's all that. Let's now talk about whether this is or isn't rape. Oh no, that's over. Then no, no, no. let's talk about you know whether it's okay to kill a black man right in front of your eyes. Here's a shot. Here's a video. You can watch it over and over. Oh look, how horrible! How horrible! How horrible! Oh man. Oh look, they've, they've got to go fund me for the white policeman who killed him. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! All of this soap opera goes on and on and on and on and so of course everybody wants to join in well of course you do because it's a horrendous thing that's going on everyone's screaming and yelling and then there are a few of us who rise above the fray and think that by making wise sometimes witty certainly trenchant short meta statements we can perhaps help a bit (laughs) and that's what this one is this one is saying hey folks come on you know, you're just you're just playing their game. You're but just, there's a few of paying, us who do this from time to time. You're just paying too much attention to that red cloth they're waving in front right. of you. They're doing and they're it, doing it on purpose. Well, I don't know about on purpose. They're certainly benefiting from it. Somebody is well aware of the game and, and orchestrating some of this. You and I might end up disagreeing on that in the long run. I think it's possible that, it's, that it happens without anybody being... On some levels, yes, but on other levels, no. Let me put it this way, and and you're pushing me to something I haven't thought about ever. How could it happen by itself? Well, it happens like this. There's a conflict, and then there are people who, they didn't start the conflict, but they see that they can benefit from the conflict. Yes. And so they feed the flames. That's, yes. But they're not controlling it. Right. They are affecting it. They're being opportunistic. Well, yeah, they, they do what they do. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, I know, but sometimes it's worse than that. Sometimes there actually is a group of people who say, let's see what we can create more conflict here. Well, actually, they are the once, real bastards. Well, They're once, the ones who are once, real. Once you learn how that game works, how to play that game to your own advantage, obviously, and you have something to gain from continuing right. it or, or right. creating new right. new versions of it, yes, absolutely. Yeah, right, right. That's what I'm, and that's, right. that's an okay. additional I think part we, of what yeah, I'm talking we, about. We've nailed that so, one down. Right. We've nailed it there. We're, no disagreement there. Right. No, unfortunately. Maybe the next time around we'll find oh, something. Oh, I'm sure we'll have, we'll find things. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you never say, I disagree? <laughs> no, I don't never say I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can always see but, the other point of view. <laughs> yes, I, I am good at seeing things from the other point of view, but there are times when I do disagree, and sometimes I think it's really important to disagree and to stand for that disagreement and really really argue that a disagreement in a, what, what feels like an appropriate instance. Although, rarely do I find that that it's really that important. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, would you be willing to place bets, and I mean maybe just five, ten dollars, on the question of whether you and me will ever find anything to disagree with? <laughs> well, we had a disagreement during our last show. And it was s- only an apparent disagreement, wasn't it? <laughs> it was just entertainment. So which, which, which side of the bet would you like to take? <laughs> I think I'd like to just shelve all of that and uh, angle towards a, a break soon. And, uh, oh, really? Well, yeah. Oh, I, my God, yes. What's the time? This is WGDR. Plainfield and WGDH Hardwick. Time flies when you're on the radio with Tomas Kalmar. Or at least when I am. Yeah, right. So uh, That was a lot of fun. <laughs>
Navidad. Terrible interrogator. No, you're I a wonderful give, person. I, think I just I, give I think, in too easily. No, no, I, I think I owe you I, an apology because no, uh, no, not yes, at yes, all. No, I, I owe you an apology. No, no, I, I owe you to, one. I was trying After to you. hold you back against your will. <laughs> against my will, but I was uh, rudely butting in and, and no, uh, not at all. For for the following you, reason, I, I was priding myself on uh, on my musical analogy, and it felt to me that our long, long, long discourse, our jam session, had come to an end. It was like trickling out, uh, but I was misreading the. We have a few minutes left, don't we? Yes. Do you want to say a little more about William Burroughs? The thing is, I've never read him. I've never read him either. And I've never liked the the parts that I haven't read either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've never read anything like this from him, but, but I was very impressed. And it also reminded me of something that Laurie Anderson once famously said. She said, language is a virus from outer space. But essentially it's that language is a virus. And that's sort of related to what I was saying earlier of a word, the word is the original gateway drug because once you start on it, it grows and it mutates. And the last post you posted stimulated, you know, was about language. The the license to read thing? The one from yesterday was about (laughs) the the term these bitches. (laughs) and, um, And you got some very different responses from... Your friends, your Facebook friends. And one person said, and language is the first to go. And I thought, Oh, okay. where did it go, and, okay. and what? And what are you thinking of language? Okay. Time, time to wrap this up with a full cadence. I'm good at cadences, but as to whether language itself is a red cloth, I don't see it that way. I hope we've got something we've disagreed on, and we can do. No, I, I don't think language is a red cloth. I think language is something that grows and evolves and changes. And I, I recognize that there are people who are purists who think that language should stay the same. Well, I think the real purist is the, is the saint who vows silence and doesn't open their mouth. And there are such people, and they do have very profound visions. And next to that is the folks who open their mouth from time to time, but only when there's something really worth saying, and they keep it short, sweet, and to the point. I try to be one of those people. (laughs) It's my Quakerism. And I was just going to say, and then there's the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) But my goal, my my ideal, the person I admire and the person I would like to be, is someone who means everything you say. Every time you open your mouth, you mean what you say, and you say what you mean, and you do what you say, and you say what you do. (laughs) Uh, That comes from Martin Buber, actually. (laughs) So back to the, okay, the red cloth and language. So why did you put those two together? 
You're the one who put it together. For me, the red cloth was politics. Then okay. we were reading. He, okay. Well, the answer Continue. is, see what they're not talking about. Because, you know, the, the red cloth becomes a, a point of fascination. And so you watch this white policeman killing this black man over and over because you're fascinated by it. And likewise, the, the, the mass shootings are fascinating. You can't get them out of your mind. And all the horrendous things, they, they, they grip you. And how to not be gripped by that cloth. That's a really spiritual journey you have to go on to be able to see all of that. Well, you can't see it all. You go crazy if you but see it But then again, the color of the elephant is changing. What's the new atrocity that everyone's up in arms about? It goes from shooting black people to the Me Too movement. Oh, yeah, it goes who's, on and on. Who's right. sexually abused, right, right, harassing right. women, which men are doing that the children that are being torn away from their families and put in these um, internment camps. camps. And what will be the next atrocity I, I remember, that everyone will be I, up in arms about? I remember a period when every day there was another scandal around Trump, day after day. And some days there were two, mm-hmm. one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And I remember waking up one morning and there wasn't any. And I felt cheated. Where's my fix? <laughs> Where's my red glove? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. It's an addiction. It's an addiction. But I don't think language is an addiction. Right. Language is, you can be addicted to things in language, but language itself, and this is when perhaps we're using words in a slightly different way, is... Not language itself, but the particular fixations of language. Right, certain word patterns, certain cliches. Memes. Yeah. Ideologies. And a good deal of consciousness raising and consciousness expansion has to do with... But all those things arise out of the use of words. That would be my, my thesis, perhaps, which I just threw out, and perhaps you <laughs> would like to disagree with me. <laughs> Next time I'm on the air, I'll, maybe it's nice to end up by doing a sort of a review, a bit of... I don't know, I seem to have this desire for what I call closure, mm-hmm. closure on the gestalt. Maybe I don't need to feel that. Maybe on this show, it's okay if we just burble on, <laughs> and then time you know, says, okay, it's over. But something about the trip we went on today was shared. I had no idea, of course, when I c- came in here that we were going to talk about my Facebook posts. Some of our folks listening out there are on Facebook and some are not. People who are not are living a rich and meaningful life and have very dim understanding of the game that those of us who are on, which apparently is billions of people, uh, are playing, right? And uh, I think like a billion or two billion people on Facebook now. I have no idea. You have no idea. See, but that's what I was just saying. People who don't, who are not on Facebook, are unaware. <laughs> yeah, I really don't have much time for Facebook. You don't need it. We've been there. Yeah, I... But but on the other hand, you dipped into it because of me. Yes. And so you gave me feedback on my post in a most, I was going to say hilarious, certainly in a very entertaining way, and made me realize that I didn't remember what I had posted. I'm going to have to get on Facebook to see what I posted. But no, you, uh, don't. you don't. No, no, but I, I do every morning see, you know, what happened to yesterday's posts. And, uh. and this morning I got on and there were some really charming conversations. One was with a, a woman whom I really admire. We became friends on Facebook. She's a Anglo-Saxon scholar of the first water. She's a really good Anglo-Saxon scholar. And she started writing wonderful historical novel about the ninth century, just after my man King Alfred dies. Ah. And there's this character who has to go and steal the bones of a saint on the Danish side of the now border because the Danes have conquered the north of England. And he goes on this adventure like many, many famous folktales, you know, of fantasy novels. But it's all set in the ninth century England and everything is echt correct when they're having 
what they're eating, what, oh, what so the coin looks like. She's she done knows. her research. Oh, she really knows. And so someone like me and a few of us, when we read this, we were particularly delighted to see that she mentions these little details, like this freshly minted coin. We know what the implications are of that. So I wanted to write her a fan letter, but we're on Facebook together. So I posted something yesterday and said, For Victoria Thompson. And it was this. It was, for, again, from a journal. It says a, it's a fable about a reliquary. Reliquaries are a big thing for me. And this is detective story plot about the fiend who ingeniously put the missing clue, hid it in the reliquary because he knew no one would look there. And it's just three lines long, my thing. It goes, Zunes, I've got it. Monsignor, I beg you to open the reliquary. Are you out of your senses? To open the reliquary, walk over there and unlock it as if it was an, any old box? Exactly. Like any old box. What a fool I've been not to have thought of this before. <laughs> and she loved it. So she said, I think I'm going to nick this. I'm going to use this. I said, I was hoping you would. I'm writing you a fan letter. Now, that was two people. I don't know if anybody else would even pay attention to it. But for me, sitting in Hardwick, Vermont, to be connecting with the author of a novel that I've read and enjoyed means my world has changed. I mean, five, ten years ago, I would have had to build up my nerve. I would have had to write a letter, mail it, maybe never get an answer, you know. Here in two moves, she and I got closer, you know. And there was a similar thing with another person. So sometimes it's just a one-on-one, two or three people. There's a friend of mine who's in the hospital. She's just had an operation. She posted puppies. We're going to adopt a puppy. Little things like that also go on. And uh, we've talked about many of the other things, you know, and you're the ones that you picked up on. But I feel like I often say about soap operas, if you want to understand soap operas, you can't just watch one or two episodes. You won't understand what a soap opera is unless you watch ten episodes in a row, and even then you're just a beginner. And in that sense, again, there's no reason why anyone should. But it's entertaining for me to get the perspective of my friend, you, what you got out of those Facebook posts, which was really juicy what you got out of it, and what you didn't, you know. Right, and then there's uh, radio shows. Who listens to radio shows nowadays? You know, it used to be everyone listened to radio shows. (laughs) That's another potentially dying breed, but some people say that that there's a renaissance of radio. Right right now what I'm feeling in my heart is, who cares whether what we're doing is a dying breed? You and me are sitting here having great conversations. It always is a treat to be here. I end up going home uh, happier and and wiser. and (laughs) It's like a mixture between a massage and a stimulating kind of... Yeah, it's great. That's why I do it. Yeah, it is why you do it, and you're so good at it, don't you? (laughs) We are so so lucky to have you. (laughs) Wow, you flatter me. (laughs) I am giving you strokes that you richly deserve. Well, I, I... (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate them. I don't know if I actually deserve them, but uh, I do. I thank you. I, I appreciate I do. them. Right? Do you feel humbled? Not as as humbled as I should. Be. <laughs> <laughs> I ask that because it's a usage of the word I've never understood. Americans say I am. I feel so humbled when they're awarded a prize. You're meant to say thank you. I'm so glad you noticed. You know, but instead of saying you know I feel proud, they say I feel humbled. I never understand why that uh, word humbled is used in such settings. Why do you feel humbled when somebody has finally recognized your worth and given you a prize? It's so unique, common. I think it's a Puritan it, thing. You yourself said, no, maybe I don't feel as humbled as I should. There's a sense that uh, you know, there's a sort of a should in there. 
<laughs> and even Tonio feels that way. <laughs> you bad boy, Tonio. <laughs> Not humble enough, huh? <laughs> you're, you're just the right amount of humble. Perhaps. <laughs> no, perhaps about it. Uh, <laughs> since you brought up Alfred, maybe next time we should get into the story of Alfred. Okay. What do you think? Good. Yeah? Yep. Thanks. I'm ready for that. Wherever, wherever it'll, 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 it it'll be good. It'll be good. I love history, and I right. especially love historical fiction. Well, I've been working on this proposal for six months. At the same time, the book develops. Now I've got a spiffy proposal. I know exactly what the book's about. I'm ready to talk to people about it. So we have a, another show in the future, whenever you're ready for that. Pitch. Swing back and forth the same amount across the rest. We have work to do. I'm sorry. David. Yes. <laughs> All right. Enough. I like playing with words. I like playing with. You them. do, and this is why it surprises me to hear your bad mouth language. Rumors. I like to give language a broader perspective. I'm so proud. Slå tillbaka. Hårt. Nej! 